name is Ellen Van Epps, and I am the Real Life Children's Ministry Director. So Real Life exists to help people who are far from God to find real life in Christ. I want to thank all of you for coming today and those who are online for watching. Um, I did want to talk about one thing, one highlight that is coming up, and it was on the reel this morning, and that is that next week we have a Sunday fun day. It's not actually for you, although I'm sure you're going to have fun when you're in here with Kyle, but it is for your kids or your smaller brothers and sisters. So those who are pre-K age through fifth grade um, will check in as usual, and the younger ones are going to stay inside. But after you've checked in the smaller kids, if you want to send them with a swimsuit or um, swim trunks and a towel, and if you feel like they are light like I am and may burn within just an hour like I do, you may want to add some sunblock to their nose. And we are going to take them outside, and we have all sorts of crazy water games planned for them. For those who don't like to get wet, then we just have a lot of fun outdoor games. We have popsicles planned and crazy fun games between us and the adults. If you've ever volunteered with Real Kids before, have your background check, we'd love to have you help us, but we do have a slew of people already signed up, so when you pick them up, you might want to have a change of clothes for them because they will be wet, they will be dirty, um, maybe covered in shaving cream, maybe covered in all sorts of slippy slidey stuff. So we will have fun with your kiddos, um, and we don't mind um, if you leave the clothes with us, making sure they're changed when you pick them up. So we're looking forward to that. That's next week, the 24th. And um, this Sunday, um, Pastor Kyle is starting a new sermon series, and it is called Free. So we're looking forward to that. If you would all pray with me. God, I am just grateful. I'm grateful that you are here. You say where there's um, two or more people, you are in our midst. And I know you're here, and we welcome you, and we thank you for bringing us, whether it's our first time here, whether we regularly come, whether we believe in you yet or um, have believed our whole lives. We know that you um, are speaking to our hearts and you have something to teach us today. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Held captive by fear, by prejudice, by sin, anger, addiction. But here's the thing. That prison no longer exists. Those walls have been torn down. What once held you captive now lays in ruins. You have been set free, redeemed, renewed, and God continues creating by bringing your soul to life. Where there was a prison, there is now a playground. Where there was despair, we find a wellspring of joy. Where there was death, we are given life. Christ has set us free. So live in that freedom. Lift your voice, clap your hands, find your joy, and set it free. For you are a prisoner no longer.
Well, good morning. morning. Welcome. Uh, uh, If you were with us last week, you know that uh, Graham and his staff did a great job uh, presenting the Alaska Mission trip. It was fantastic. It was the first time in a long time that I was here in the room and didn't preach, and uh, I was lost. Um, I think someone found me just roaming up and down the hallways. I didn't know what to do with myself, so I'm super glad to be back here and doing this. Um, welcome to everybody. Brewster, good to have you. Um, I know you're recovering. Um, you have an a apple pie jamboree hangover, I'm sure, from uh, uh, this weekend. Brewster, good to have you with us. If you're tuning in online, wherever you're at, thanks for being with us. Uh, we are going to uh, start a new series. We're going to go a few weeks about it. And just so you know, today we're going to lay out the problem. And there's going to be times when you want to say, well, that's not true, or I don't like that, and I'm probably going to agree with you. And we're going to read some scriptures, and we're going to get some truth from there. And you may say, I don't buy that. And I welcome you to disagree, and I welcome you to have a discussion about that, all right? There's nothing here this morning that's, that's trying to point the finger at you or making you feel that I'm better than you, and I'm telling you, okay? Um, I hope we all leave and say, okay, I get it. We're all in the same boat. Because... What we want to talk about is the fact that it's impossible to solve a problem when you don't understand what's wrong to begin with. This was me. Listen, in Idaho, uh, where I grew up, you get your license when you're 14. I'm not kidding you. Um, And it wasn't until I was about 15 that I figured this out, that when you're driving your car, something happens, especially if um, your hot girlfriend at the time, Darlene, and then became my wife also, is with you. Something happens with your car, the light comes on, something happens, and you pull over. There's something wrong with your car, all right? I didn't have any mechanical knowledge whatsoever, but I knew that the right thing to do was, like, say, all right, baby, just wait here. I'll take care of this. And I get out, and I go around the front, hit the latch, open up the hood, and I stand there and, like, mm-hmm. Or even sometimes, as I got better at it, I would jiggle something here, mm-hmm. Then I'd go and call somebody to fix it, because I don't know what to do. That there's t- times that we, we, we're trying to act like we have a solution or pretend that uh, uh, we know what the problem is when we don't even know what the problem is. Now, that's one thing when you're young and dumb like I was. It's a complete another thing because there's no, there's no negative that happened really out of that. But if you lived uh, a year ago, almost to the date... If you lived in the Champlain Towers uh, in Surfside, Florida, right outside Miami, your building looked like this. That's what the building looked like on um, June 23rd. It was a 12-story beachfront, really prime property. And a lot of people that lived in the, uh, the condominium had been there for a long time. There was an association of people and everything. And that was on June 23rd. On June 24th, this is what it looked like. It just collapsed. 98 people died. Uh, dozens and dozens were rescued from the rubble, but 98 people died. And you're like, what happened? Obviously, there was a problem. Who, who, who was supposed to fix it? And come to find out, three years earlier, they did an expect inspection, and they saw some water in the, in the uh, parking garage area, and they thought, ah, we'll get to it. And then just months earlier, they said, wait a minute, this might, this might be something we should look into. And sure enough, 
There was water leaking from the pool area up on top through the garage structure. It slowly degraded the uh, concrete structural support, and down it came. Who, who, what? How does that happen? And we look at that stuff and we think, all right, yeah, uh, you can pretend you know something about cars if you're driving one. Um, the most embarrassing one, just so you know. Like when I was driving my dad's uh, 68 LTD, I didn't know anything about it, so I flipped the thing and go and look and, hmm, okay. But imagine my embarrassment when I was driving my Volkswagen Carmagia. Who's with me? And I go to the front to look in, and it's the luggage compartment because the engine's in the back. All right. That's kind of when Darlene knew she wasn't uh, marrying any uh, rocket scientists, all right? So it's one thing to talk about a car or, or the, the tragedy of, of, of a structure because they went back and said, we know what the problem was. You guys should have done this, this, and this. You should have emptied the building and, still, and spent $15 million to fix it because $15 million is a lot more worth, uh, is, is less value than 98 people who died. You can go back and say that. But the problem is we can do that. We can, we can look at things and we, in, in, in hindsight. But the problem that we have is in our lives is we struggle to solve us, right? You struggle to solve you. That there are things in your life and things that you do and things that you say. There are things that, that you know aren't appropriate or you don't want in your life. And you have struggled and you have tried. And if you're just a middle schooler, you're just learning this. If you're a high schooler, you're kind of got it a little bit. But if you're old like me, you're like, I've been doing this for my whole life. And there's a problem. But the problem with us is we don't know what the problem is. The problem may be that we may not know what the problem may be. That maybe, and this is just where we're headed through this series, maybe in order to live free, in order to live the life we've always wanted to live, maybe we have been working on or trying to solve a problem that isn't even the problem. Now, here's the thing. You've tried to solve you, right? I have. I've paid good money to solve me. Some of you may have lost friends or spouses or a job because you couldn't solve you. Uh, um, you're smart. You have a theory of what's wrong with you. Maybe other people have told you what's wrong with you. Maybe someone has come up to you before and said, hey, you know what's wrong with you? The answer to that question is yes, and then walk away, all right? Hey, you know what your problem is? Yeah, I got it. You don't have to tell me. No one likes to talk. No, listen, if you're enjoying the sermon so far, Brewster, if you're enjoying it so far, it it's over now, because we're headed downhill. Because no one likes to talk about my issues, your issues, your problem. No one likes to talk about the uckiness, the, 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 the pain that we cause in other people's life. And even if you do understand what the problem is, knowing the problem is not the same as having a solution, right? The, pe the people that inspected the condominium structures in Surfside, Florida... They knew there was a problem, but they didn't have a solution or they weren't willing to go through with a solution. So just knowing the problem, like, yeah, I know, I'm a, I know who I am, I'm a jerk, or I'm too impulsive, or I spend too much money, or whatever, yeah, I know. Well, that, that's no solution. Just knowing the problem doesn't fix your life so you, you can move forward and live the life you've always wanted to live. So I'm going to offer you an explanation this morning. 
that you may not agree with. If you're not a Bible person and you're not a Christian person, you're going to be like, okay, that's exactly what I expect to hear from some bald preacher boy. I, I, I get that. Some of you that have been church people for a long time, you're going to like, yeah, I've heard that before. But I think a lot of us are like, yeah, I know the problem. But even if you've been in church since you were a kid, you may be working on the wrong problem or you may have the wrong solution for your problem. So today we're going to talk about what's wrong with us. All right, we're going to give the diagnosis. And then the next few weeks we're going to talk about the solution. Now, Paul is a guy in the New Testament. Let me give you a little background, catch us all up so we know, because we're going to listen to his description of what he says about you and what he says about himself. Paul was this guy that when Jesus was around and doing this thing, Paul didn't dig him. Paul didn't buy into it. Paul thought it was a sham. So after Jesus died, we believe he rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven. Paul made it his mission to, to put to death or at least persecute anyone who called themselves a follower of Jesus. So in this new Christian sect or cult that Paul looked at, uh, they were all uh, claiming that Jesus rose from the dead. They were all trying to uh, spread the teachings of Jesus. Paul decided it was his mission to eliminate those people. And one day as he was on a journey, almighty God, Jesus shows up in this huge encounter that you can read in the book of Acts. And he says, hey, Paul, you're not just persecuting people. You're persecuting me. Knock it off. Let's, let's join forces and let's move ahead. So Paul went from being a terrorist, a persecutor of Christians, to becoming a follower of Christ. And he becomes arguably the greatest missionary in the history of missionaries because he set out not just to talk to people and his friends and family about Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, but he set out to tell the whole known world as much as possible as he could. So Paul is, if you're going to list people as far as great people in the Bible, you got to put him up there in the top 10. He was, he was trained before he met Jesus. He was the best of the Jews of the Jews of the Jews he could be, highest of the Jews you could be. Then became the best of a Christ follower, Christ follower you can be. He wrote the Bible. You know what I'm saying? He didn't know he was writing. No, he didn't sit down and write the Bible. So he wrote all these letters and and. The, 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 the early church fathers took it and said, well, this is truth. This is God's word. Put it in the So this guy is fantastic. But he knows you because he knew him. And if you're not a church person and you haven't been to church in a long time or whatever, uh, this next uh, description, you're going to be like, yeah, I love this church. Because Paul, this great writer of the Bible and missionary, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Who's with me? Yeah, like if you're, if you're not a follower of Christ yet, you're like, yeah, Paul, that's me. Paul keeps going. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And this could be for... for our purposes this morning, this could be any law. This isn't just Old Testament law. This could be the laws of society. This could be your own family law you were raised in or your own heart law, the things that you know, the things you want to be, the things you want to live by. It could be whatever. But most of us, and maybe it's just me and Paul, but most of us have this code, the way we want to live and think we should live, and we don't even do what we think we should do. I mean, I've been in this 
I'm a professional Christian. I've been at this a long time. I was born in a Christian family, went to Christian school, Christian college, Christian seminary, been at this all my life. And I'm like, yeah, Paul, I'm with you. There's so much I want to do, I don't do. And there's so much stuff I don't want to do, I keep on doing it. What is my problem? What's your problem? Let me give you an example of this. Because you all have your own example, right? I'm not going to give you a personal one because I don't trust most of you. But I'll give you a, a, a general one. That's not true. I trust. No, that's pretty true. Where's high schoolers? Where are you? High schoolers? Yeah, I trust you. Uh, so it's cash. Cash, I'm sharing this with you. Um, so I'm in Iowa. I go back to visit my mom in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And my mom's family, growing up, there was two sets of family. Okay? There was the Schneiderman family. That was my mom's side. And there was the Plue family. That was my dad's side. The Plue family... Loving people, they love Jesus with all their hearts, super legalistic and, and uh, no fun. All right? The Schneiderman's family lived in a trailer park. The first thing you did when you walked in, they'd say, grab a beer because the fridge was right at the door entrance. And they would sit down, and every day was a party. And when all the Schneidermans would get together, it was, it was smoking and drinking and gambling. And the, the first time I took uh, Darlene to a gathering, she was like, her little Christian school eyes were just like, what is going on here? And I, that, honey, that's just my family. So, uh, uh, we're back there, this is about uh, 12, 13 years ago or so, because I'm still, I remember, I wasn't, hadn't started real life yet. And so we decided to get all the cousins together, all the Schneiderman cousins. And of course, downtown Cedar Falls, we go to uh, here, the bar in Chelan is called Frogs. In Cedar Falls, it's called Toads, all right? <laughs> same thing, same, okay? So if you get a picture, and like, some of you are like, I've never been to Frogs, you liar. All right, uh, all right, listen, I'm not putting down frogs, and if you've been to frogs, I'm not putting down, because I've been to toads. In fact, we go to toads a lot when I go back to Cedar Falls. So we're sitting at toads. We get our own table, and there's about 10 of us or so. It's a Tuesday night, downtown Cedar Falls, Iowa. All the cousins start coming in, and my brother's with me too, and he likes a, a good time. And so they all start coming in, and the waitress comes and says, hey, can I get you something to drink? And every single one of them, as they walked in, including my brother, says, no, I'm not drinking tonight. i got to work tomorrow. No, I'm not going to, no, I'm not, you know. And my brother's like, yeah, no, I, I had too much to drink last night. I'm going to do 30 minutes later, they are all toasted, and they're having a discussion about if you get pulled over for drunk driving, how to get out of the ticket. <laughs> what happened? What happened? Everyone came in and said, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. No, no. Because even my Schneiderman family in Cedar Falls, Iowa knows that there's times where the stuff we know we should do, we don't do. And the stuff we don't want to do, we keep on doing. That's me. And I think it's you. Paul keeps going, and he takes a lot of time in this. And you can go look at Romans uh, uh, chapter 7 and get all the details. He continues and he says, As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. Oh, that's a cop-out, Paul. You did it. Paul's not saying, I'm not responsible. You know, uh, old-timers, who's with me? Back in the 70s, there was a comedian called Flip Wilson. Who's with me? And his tag was always like, the devil made me do it. Who's with me? Yeah, old people. Uh, yeah, that we think, oh, it's not me. It's That's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, there's, it feels like there's another part of me. It feels like the part of me that wants to do what I don't want to do is in control. And Paul's going to tell us how to respond to that. And here's why you should listen to Paul. 
He hung out with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the same people who hung out with Jesus. He heard all the teachings of Jesus. He took months and months and months and months to get trained up of who Jesus was and what he taught. God chose the Apostle Paul for a specific task and purpose after his crucifixion and resurrection. And the point Paul was commissioned to take the teachings of Jesus so they're not just these flowery things that just float around up there, but make them practical daily application and implications for your life, my life, his life. So, he's going to ask a question that you've asked about yourself, you've asked about your spouse, and you've asked about your kids. Why don't we do what we're supposed to do? And I'm not telling you what the supposed is, okay? You can decide that. I'm not saying you better believe and think and act the way I do. We're just leaving that for right now. But why don't we do? Come on. If everyone did what they're supposed to do, imagine, imagine church on a Sunday morning. It would be so short. You guys would come in, we'd sing a couple songs, and I would just say, stop it. See you next week, and then we'd be done. You'd all be out. Or, or, or um, the, 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 the sermon notes would be easy. It would just be stop, don't start, always got it. You got it? Okay, let's go. Just don't do that anymore. But the problem is there's something working against us that whatever your standard is, we violate all the time. Listen, you don't need me to tell you what to do and what not to do. No, we don't need another diet book, right? We don't need, another, we don't need somebody else to tell us not to look at that stuff on, on the Internet. Everyone knows that destroys relationships. Everyone knows what to do to make things better. The problem is we don't, we don't have the motivation all the time to do the stuff we want to do and stop doing the stuff we don't want to do. So Paul explains the problem. Now listen, you guys. Probably in 10 years of uh, real life, we're going to enter in some, some, some tall cotton here, all right? For just three to five minutes, maybe seven, you're going to have to really move with me. Bruce, you're going to have to wake up and just stay with me. Because the book of Romans in all of the Bible is probably the deepest um, most difficult stuff to understand, super important too. Paul takes these deep, deep concepts and tries to make them understandable and practical. So we're going to try to do that next few minutes. I'm just telling you, stay with me a little bit as we, as we move through this. Because he says, here's what we have all in common. You see, we're going to jump into his discussion. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. So the first thing uh, Paul's saying, and we kind of know this, is that we are all powerless. I want to, but I can't. At times, this power comes over me, and even though I want to do what's right, I can't. My buddy Dave Walters and I were out in his boat on the, on the Columbia a few years ago, and uh, his battery was fading, and we were trying to get upriver, and there were times where I would say, Dave, that same tree is, hasn't moved. He's got to put, we're all out, and we're not making any progress whatsoever. And then finally I said, Dave, I think that tree is passing us. And we had a serious problem. We were able to get to the side and, and, and rescue ourselves. But there's times when it feels like that, where you think you're making progress, you want to make progress, and you're like, well, I'm not. There's a different power that's at work against me. And he says, and you're ungodly. And again, that's offensive, right? Because none of you, if you went to an interview and you said, tell me about 
what you bring to this company, you list your good stuff. And then they say, what are, what are your struggles? What do you say? None of you would say, well, I tend to be powerless and most of the time ungodly. No one calls himself ungodly, so it seems really offensive. Um, but get, Paul's not trying to offend you. Paul's trying to give you his description of how he sees our situation. So if God is perfect and we're imperfect, or God is godly and we're imgodly, God's perfect, we're not. God's godly, we're not. So all Paul's saying is, you're not God. And all of your relatives says, yeah, no, no, you're not. So Paul's saying, we're powerless, we're ungodly, God's perfect, we're unperfect. And if you haven't been to church in a long time, or you're listening online, you're like, wait a minute. The reason I don't go to church, because I know how messed up people who go to church are. And I didn't know that they knew that they were messed up. And I'm here to tell you, and Paul's here to tell you, yeah, we all know it. We may not admit it, but we all have something. We all have something that we want to do that we don't want to do. We all have stuff in our life we don't want to do and we keep on doing. So look what happens. Christ died for the ungodly. Paul comes along and says, Jesus comes in and gives his life. For people who didn't care anything about him. He, Paul says this, God demonstrates his own love for us, which puts his love in a completely different category, that he demonstrates his love for people who are powerless and ungodly. For in this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And this is real-time stuff for Paul. If you've heard this verse before, you're like, hey, that's a nice verse. God loves me. I'm a sinner, big deal. But God loves me. I'm going to say a prayer. I get to go to heaven. And we move on. But for Paul, this was real time. Paul's saying, while we, while me and my buddies, just 20 years ago, this isn't hundreds of years after Jesus was on earth or Jesus was being put to death. This was just a few decades. Paul sits down. He, he was a contemporary. He lived at the same time as Jesus. Paul is saying, listen, me and my buddies, while me and my buddies were sinning, while me and my buddies didn't care about Jesus, while me and my buddies were working hard against the cause of Christ, God shows up and shows he loves us by giving his life for us. Paul says, I know I'm powerless of this thing. I know I'm ungodly because I am imperfect. But Paul also says, man, we're all sinners. And I know I was a sinner. In the middle of me sinning is when Jesus showed up. Who would do that? Some of you would give your life for a kid or give your life for a loved one. Who would give their life for someone that is completely opposite of them, is ungodly, is powerless, is a sinner? Who would do that? And the fact is, and this just gets redundant after a while if you've been in church, but that God loved us so much that Christ died for us. For that past sin, for your current sin you're going to do later today or later next week, or the sin you're committing now, I don't know what that would be, look straight ahead. Uh, who would do that? So, if we're powerless and we're ungodly and we're sinners, what makes us that way? And then Paul changed the direction. Now, listen, go with me here. If you haven't been paying attention, stay with me. Because Paul completely changes the tone. He says, listen, therefore, just as sin, and this gets kind of deep, stay with me, just as sin entered the world through one man, that's Adam, 
and death through sin, death was on the heels of sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Paul's saying, sin entered the world when Adam messed up. Sin entered the world when Adam decided to go his own way. Sin entered the world and became a byproduct, a disease that everyone is infected with when Adam showed up. And Paul is saying that sin is a noun, not just a verb. And so, much, so many of us who were raised in the church and try to live uh, through the teachings of Jesus, we concentrate on the verb instead of the noun. We, we think, if I just do my best to quit sinning, I'll be fine. If I do my best and try real hard to stop sinning, I'll, I'll do good. But Paul's saying, no, there's a sin, there's a noun that is so much more powerful than your effort. The reason you haven't been able to change or the reason you struggle is maybe you've addressed the wrong thing. Maybe you're only addressing the verbs and you're not addressing the noun. Stay with me. Paul says we are all infected. Sin came to the first man, Adam, spread to all men. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world like a disease. And you're like, that's not fair. And I'm like, yeah, it's not. But it's true. It's, it's not fair, right? That somebody in some other part of the world does something, and we, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to get in debate how COVID-19 started or whatever. You can have your own discussion. But it's not fair that somebody did something over there and spread here and everything, and someone you got COVID and died. That's not fair, right? But a lot of us know it's true. So you think, wait a minute. Just because Adam messed up, I messed up. And the fact is, yeah, that's what Paul says. And Paul says, and the result of that is death. Like, wait a minute, that's a little severe. But a lot, I know, maybe, maybe you know, that there are times where a bad habit or an addiction put to death a relationship. Maybe through your actions you've killed your finances. Maybe you've killed your career because of bad choices or things you would lose. I wish I wouldn't say that. I wish I wouldn't do that. Maybe something with your kids or your parents. That some, and the result was death of something that you loved. Something that you enjoyed. Now, in this way, death came to all people because all sin. So death came to me because eventually in my life I sinned. Listen, you'd be fine. Sin entered the world through Adam, and you're like, yeah, Adam's a sinner. And you're good if you've never sinned, right? You're good if you never broke God's commands. You're good if you never broke God's moral law. But we all have, according to Paul. Now, you can push back on Paul. Please do. In fact, address your blue cards and emails to the Apostle Paul. Okay, don't be like, hey, Kyle, you're a jerk. No, if anybody, Paul's a jerk. Because Paul says we've all messed up, we've all sinned. And the result of that, and so many of us know that, is just heartbreaking loss and death of stuff we enjoy and we cared about and we wish we could get back. So, let me help you out here. Paul says that uh, we have all sinned because we're all in Adam. Okay? Can you see that okay? Brewster, I hope you can see that. That's an A for Adam. So that everybody, everybody is in Adam and everybody's a sinner. All right? You say, Kyle, are you a sinner? Yep. 
Kyle's wife, Darlene, are you a sinner? No, hold on just a second here. <laughs> Billy Graham, greatest preacher of all time, sinner. Uh, my two daughters, <laughs> sinners. <laughs> Wait a second. Summer interns at Real Life, sinners. Oh, no. Russell Wilson. <laughs> Russell Wilson's wife. That's when he went, started going down the hill. Who's with me? Give her two. <laughs> Who else? Mother Teresa in Adam. She's a sinner. Your grandma, the greatest person in the world, sinner. Karen Joyner, sinner. You're like, who's Karen Joyner? Meet her back. She's perfect. She's in the back. She just glows because she's so perfect, all right? Listen, everybody who's ever been born, I don't know who else you want to include. And, you, and we want to say, listen, I'm not as bad as Sierra, Russell Wilson's wife, so I must be okay. No, you're a sinner too. Everybody, everybody who's ever been born, sinner, 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 sinner. Darlene? She's barely, she's just barely there, all right? <laughs> Listen, all of us understand this. None, no one likes to talk about it. But everyone is born in sin, and it kicks in about two, right? If you have a two-year-old, and they do something, you're like, well, I wonder, got into, I wonder what got into that kid. And Paul, Apostle Paul says, I know. It's sin. It's sin. Boy, I was dating that girl, and we broke up, and I can't, I wonder what, what happened in that relationship. Sin. 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 It's sin. 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 <laughs> but the problem, problem goes deeper than just our habits and behavior. As long as I try to solve me by addressing my habits and my behaviors, I'm never going to solve the problem. My habits and undesirable behaviors, they're just, that's the expression of sin. We think that's the sin. If I just stop doing that behavior, all my sin will go away. If I just think differently, I'll stop doing that. And it is more than that. Listen. A good person who does bad things never deals with the root problem, and that is sin in me. Again, no one likes to talk about it, but you better deal with it. You better deal with it. Because as your pastor or your friend or maybe it's just some dude you met for the first time today, I would hate that your life looks like the Surfside Condominium. You're like, I thought there was a problem. Maybe there was a problem. And then your world just collapses. And they're looking for survivors in your life's rubble. Paul goes on. He says, listen, there's sin that came from Adam, and there's a gift that came from God. There's a sin versus gift. And Paul says this. Romans 5, Paul says this, but there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. 
And the gift Paul's talking about, and all we need to talk about today is this, is that's the gift is being in right standing with God. That when you stand before God, the gift is that he sees you as perfect without sin. Even though there's this enormous thing that we inherited, that's disease, that went viral and Adam started and spread it, that we're all in sin, whether we want to believe that or think that's not, it, it's not fair, it's still true. And we see the results of it every day in the paper, but we see it, uh, the results of it every day in the mirror. That there's this thing. But Paul says there is something better. That Adam dragged us in to this sin, but God provides someone to get us out. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. And even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Listen, the contrast is so incredible. Because Paul's saying, yeah, it's bad. In fact, it's worse than you thought. That all of us, when we were born, we are born into sin because we are born in Adam. But Paul says there's this gift that's offered that you can choose to receive. Where Paul says, when you choose to follow Jesus, you are taken out of Adam. You're removed from the control and power of sin, noun, and placed in Christ. You're like, man, that's not fair. Because how did I get there? Well, Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, cleared your way. Well, that's not fair that he had to pay the price. No, it wasn't. But it's true. When you receive the gift of following Jesus, of a life washed clean, of the noun of sin removed, and the penalty of it, that happens when you're in Christ. And anyone who makes that decision, where Sierra, even Russell Wilson's wife, Sierra, or who do you want this to be? All the San Francisco 49ers? It's too, many, it's too many jokes. Even Sierra. And the problem is, Paul says, listen, even though you were born here, you don't have to stay there. Let me give you a little wrap-up here as we turn for home. Paul says, and this concludes, and this just we're laying out the problem today, that sin came from one man, and that leads to death. Eventually, you guys, it's death, separation from God for all eternity. But the gift comes from one man and leads to life. Now, we think, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. When I decide whatever you want to call it, where you really knew you were a sinner and you needed a savior and you prayed the prayer when you were a little kid or you realize on a mission trip that man something is bigger than just my life and i'm going to give my life to jesus because i need a savior and i can't save myself when you move from here to there you're like yes and this is what i thought when i was a kid maybe all the way up until high school was yes i decide to Pray the prayer and give my life to Jesus because now my sin's gone and I get to go to heaven when I die. 
But that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not talking about heaven. Listen, that's, that's a true statement. But that's not this sermon, and that's not this passage, and that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about what do you do with people, and what do you do with yourself when you don't do what you want to do, you don't live the way you want to live, and you keep doing things you don't want to do. That's the context. So Paul isn't saying pray the prayer so you, you don't go to hell, or pray the prayer so you get to go to heaven. Paul's saying when you give your life to Jesus, there's a new something that happens. Get this now. And maybe you don't have to be controlled by the noun of sin anymore. And maybe in your powerlessness as you give up, maybe there's a power of God that comes in and takes over. We're going to talk about this next week. Maybe you don't have to sin anymore. You're like, oh, that's not true. Yeah, no, no, it's not true. You will. But you don't have to. When you're in Christ, the power of sin has been defeated because of Jesus. You're not a victim. The devil doesn't make you do it. There's a new hope and a newness that we'll talk about next week. When you're in Adam, yeah, you won't have any choice. That will continue to dominate you. Your sin nature, the way you were born, the stuff around you will continue to dominate. And we think when we give our life to Jesus, uh, we get to go to heaven when we die. And until that time, I'll just try really hard. I won't look at that. I won't go there. But then we end up saying, man, why do I keep doing what I don't want to do? And I don't do what I think I should do. Adam messed it up. But Jesus can fix it up. And as simplistic or trite as that sound, it takes the deep teachings of Paul and puts it into one simple statement. That you don't have to continue living a messy life. And your own effort won't fix it. There's something more powerful, bigger, and newer. We talk about when we're in Christ, we're a brand new creation. We're a brand new thing. And for a lot of us, we skip that part because we just want to go to heaven and try our best. So let me give you three next steps as we get ready for next week. If you're, if you, uh, all the next steps are on the blue card. The blue card, we stop and talk about the blue card because it's super important. We want to know... Uh, what's going on with you, if you have questions, if you want to sign up for something, if you want to volunteer for something, if you have a prayer request. Uh, Sarah Barnes and the Connection team covers all that. Make sure we'll communicate with you and, and, and take care of everything. We also have the blue card, both in Brewster and here, so that uh, you can keep track of decisions that you make, both in your handout that we give you and the blue card, and we want to support you while you do that. So this is going to be the simplest of all next steps. Number one. Come back next week. Like, oh, I'm out of town. All right, well, then watch online. Because if you leave here, I'm afraid that if you leave here today, no matter if you're watching online, when you click your computer off or you leave Brewster Land, I'm afraid that you're going to walk out of here and say, Kyle just took 35 minutes to tell me what a loser I am. And the fact is, what I spent 35 minutes on was saying, we're all losers. We're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. And that ship is going down. But Jesus offers a rescue so we don't have to stay in that ship. 
And some of us are stuck in between here. Next up, number two. Stop trying harder, stop trusting more. I say this all the time. I've been saying it to middle school and high schoolers for, for decades. Whenever you hear someone preach or teach or whatever, you read a book in, in a Christian venue or whatever, um, ask yourself, is that person telling me to try harder or trust more? Because what has got us in the problem, especially in evangelical Christianity, is we just think, try harder, do better, try harder, do better. Read this book. Read this self-help book. Have you ever noticed, old people, of which I'm one of you, that all of a sudden this book comes out in 2022 and like, read this and your life will get better. And you're like, that book came out 30 years ago. They just put a new title on it. That there's nothing new. We all struggle to do what we want to do and we all struggle to stop doing what we don't want to do. So maybe there's a different approach that might work better. And maybe our own individual effort, I know, I know that you're not all going to agree. And yeah, that Paul, he just, I don't know what to do with him, all right? But maybe instead of trying harder, there's this new source of power that comes when we're in Christ in the gift that comes with being in Christ. And maybe that can open up some brand new ways of living than we've been used to. And finally, uh, I know there's lots of different people in the room, but even today, before we get into the details of the solution, maybe today's your day to admit your condition and accept God's gift. Maybe you know you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you know that you're trying to just be the best you can be. Maybe, maybe you don't think that Jesus is legit or there's a real God. Okay, then just keep investigating. Come back. But maybe today, whether you're listening here in Chelan or in Brewster or online, maybe there's, this is your moment to say, Wait a minute, maybe I am stuck here. Maybe I am doomed. Maybe death is right behind sin, the noun that I inherited. And maybe this morning is your day to say, I want a new way of looking at life. I want a new way to live. I want a new outcome, both now and the future. I would encourage you, man, I would plead with you to consider accepting the gift of Jesus, and it's a gift that he offers, doesn't force on you, that says, listen, your life of sin and the ship you're on is sinking. And eventually you're going under. But God offers a rescue through Jesus. It's a gift that you have to reach out and take. Not by being good, not by never sinning, not by cleaning your life up, but you accept it because of what Jesus did and who he was. I'll turn the service back over to Billy in Brewster. Thanks, Bill. Let's pray together here. God, we thank you for Jesus, and uh, we do that a lot, and sometimes we take that for granted, but uh, we know. We don't even have to go to church or hear a preacher. We know we got stuff in our life that's a mess. We know we do things that are hurtful and cause the end and destruction of relationships and situations. God, I ask that we would leave with a sense of hope this morning, not dread. Because we are not doomed. We are not stuck in sin. You have created a rescue. You have created a way out. You offer hope and a peace beyond this world and beyond our situation. God, I ask that all of us would get on that same page and accept that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, come back next week, please. Please come back next week. Uh, uh, have a great, great Sunday. See ya. Love ya. Bye.